Hello, everyone, and welcome to the B2B Startup Sales Podcast. Um, Patrick here. I want to give you a quick intro how um, our podcast actually started, um, because it was probably at the same time as we actually recorded that first uh, recording, and we didn't, we kind of, you know, we were like, yeah, we want to we wanna do a podcast, and let's sit together and think about what we want to talk about in that podcast and uh, that's what I think a lot of people usually do they want to meet and talk about how they should do things and never actually do it so um, and that was also that was also that that's also how I, it started with us and actually when we met to talk about how we want to do the podcast Manuel was like hey guys come on let's just record let's just talk and record and and see what happens and then just uh, load it up and 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 see if we can add value. Um, so Manuel started recording it. Um, Lars and I we were like, uh, okay, okay, let's do it. And and so we went through. Um, so I can only recommend that to you guys as well. Whoever is planning a podcast, don't think about the concept too much. Just think about with who you want to talk. You're actually interested yourself. Um, if you if you could ask anyone some questions, who would you ask and invite that person and um, record the talk with that person? I think that's the, that's that's actually my main takeaway from from all the podcasts or for, from from podcasting so far. Um, so I, I recommend you you think about it as well. Um, so yeah, th there there we are. I I hope you enjoyed. I hope we can add some value. You can, we can give you. In that podcast, we can give you tips um, throughout that help you throughout your sales um, cycles to to shorten sales cycles, to sell more, to sell more successfully, and especially to sell more satisfactory for you to have very good and meaningful interactions with your customer. All right, so let's start. We're probably going to welcome you again at the beginning of the podcast, um, and. I hope you're going to tune in into other episodes as well. Have a very good day and enjoy. Bye. Uh, Lars, thanks so much for taking the time. I know you, you're still thinking quarters, even if you're not working a big corporate at, at SAP or so. You're actually the chief customer officer at Expense Robot. What brought you to actually still thinking quarters and like this always be closing hungry attitude? So I think there's something magical when the quarter ends. So if, if you're if you're very sales driven and and I am really sales driven, uh, also our culture at Expensable is very sales driven. And you start to you know when when entering the the quarters end like the last three or the last four weeks of your quarter, it's just different selling than within you know in the middle of the quarter. So uh, yeah, this this attitude I think it comes also from Beekeeper where where it was really quarter driven. So you want to hit your quarterly targets. And you know, I just you know I just found out uh, in my career that it, it it will all happen in the end of the quarter. So it's like a hockey stick. You know, you start closing some small deals in the beginning of the quarter, and end of the quarter, you get all the the big juicy deals in. Uh, that's that's so interesting because I mean I I kind of started my sales career and was what was then a startup at Tesla when it was two thousand people and the stock price was like twenty bucks. Was still selling roaches and. 
Joachim like returning to VP Sales Europe was actually like hey man we're like let's sell the car like on on the 28th 28th of June it was like let's give the guy a navigation system for free and some window tires like mate but what the fuck that's destroying the whole margin like let the guy just wire the money next week no no we need to report the numbers which was actually already like a company on a stock market so how how much do you emphasize it on a customer to really just get the deal done versus getting profitability and, and margins right then yeah i mean in the end it's you know i think it's not it's not, not all about you know um renegotiating all the all your quotes you have out there and 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 you know to um to to get you you know to get you down to a price uh you usually you usually don't give to any customers i think it's more about um you feel you feel this when, when the streak starts when people start close deals you get this vibe in the team so you know everyone is super excited about end of quarter everyone is super excited everyone wants to bring the the bigger deal so i think that's what what you should go for and you know and uh, what i also experience is when when you're going into this end of quarter thing it's much easier to tell someone like hey i need it this quarter it's important for me i have reporting i have to report to my boss or to investors and i really need this deal in in this quarter you know so you know and usually people understand that right Trippy? i like that you managed actually to have this culture you know this culture that it's exciting and and people you you have this we want to close those those lost deals i usually had exactly the opposite um experience in my career so we had in my last company we had um never we didn't have quarters we only had yearly goals and we did it once a year and then finally in october you wake up and think like oh we have so many deals left to close mm, three months left mm, we should have probably started uh, planning this you know a year before when we did prospecting but uh, suddenly now we have to we, we have to rush so it was more uh, more an anxious it was more an anxious environment to be in people were like oh i don't reach my targets and um so it was it was perceived more negatively because it wasn't like exciting and and yeah let's all reach our targets it was more the opposite and then they changed it from yearly to quarterly which i found was a very smart move i think it's so much easier to plan from yeah. From month to month, or from absolutely, quarter, you probably I mean, I mean, almost yeah. every almost every company or every startup has a as a yearly target. So even if if I'm talking about uh, quarterly targets, I mean, we have a big target, which is our our yearly target. And in the end, I mean, I don't care if 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 we reach, you know, if we if we reach uh, uh, fifty uh, or or you know like twenty percent uh, in in the first three quarters, and then you know, uh, 40% in the last quarter, or, you know, I, I don't care yeah. how it's break down, yeah. but you know, it's just, it's just easier for yourself. If you, if you break down your targets first from the yearly target to quarterly to monthly targets, and then you break it down to weekly daily activities, you need, you know, you need to get there. And I think that's yeah. also an important point. I mean, it's not always good to just focus on closing in the last month of the quarter. I mean, you still want to have your pipeline full for you know the next quarter, right? Exactly. So, do you do you actually use certain techniques at the end of a quarter to make deals come faster, as Manuel mentioned, like any discount stuff, or do you use some some of these stuff? I try actually not to do. I try not to. I always try to you know 
to to do all of that with, with with the relationship you're building i like that yeah i like okay. that i think i also think discounts is it's something i don't like to use it's not kind of honest you know at the end of the quarter to tell someone oh now if you come now uh, i give you 10 percent and you have to keep it anyway right it's it's kind of absolutely when they don't come then you say okay I take it away again it's breaking the relationship as you say it's very important to keep yeah. the relationship and, and which is really which is yeah. really over this cultural thing right and sometimes people ask me like when why should I, I work with you compared to like these North American guys like who have much more sales driven culture like what has struck me like I have like a five page word by word discovery and closing script and it's like basically five lines about like not the hard sell but like there's one objection like hey i cannot decide this right now it's like look decisions are not a function of time but of trust and the base for decision making and that's it the other guy has a script which is also five pages of this but then comes eight pages of like looping down and hard selling and like um incentive-based pricing how they call it. like if you sign right now like you get two thousand bucks off of like ten thousand mm -hmm. bucks mm -hmm. yeah what i find interesting lars what you mentioned is that uh, you also need to report to somebody else than in your case philip who you know quite well uh, as an entrepreneur but you need to report to investors like patrick you you guys don't have investors as far you, you self-funded right correct how do you yeah. manage to get this sales culture done also being the most sales driven person from the background yeah so what i also realized in my past how you can actually kind of do it not to you know coming from that culture that we were always kind of too late and and you we were thinking of that too late we realized the the thing is not in or you cannot solve it by becoming better at closing or becoming or putting more pressure or using several discount measures that you might have um, what we introduced is usually we have an engagement plan so after after one or two meetings when you you build trust you 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 know okay we we have a problem with this customer that we can solve and if especially if it's becoming more complex it doesn't have to happen with a with a deal that is like ten thousand k a, a year um but like 50 upwards or 100 upwards you have like an engagement plan where you you list all the important steps that need to happen to have this closed and one thing of this list is obviously um what when does all that thing that that needs to happen right you do a plan basically with your customer and you make your customer accepting that plan that's the most important part and, and the part that many many salespeople neglect so they they kind of go to their customer and say hey since until when do you want to have this happen and they say something like yeah i mean would be good until june and then they go back to their sales manager and tell the manager hey until june we have this deal but <laughs> it's not how it is usually usually that there is no commitment that that deal is going to happen until june so they have to actually really get an agreement if they get this sheet signed, this engagement plan signed, even better. It it, it can happen if like physically it's still a, it's still still something that is happening. Not anymore these days. Um, obviously, we haven't had any physical meetings. But if you can make, you have to. Ideally, you have to make your customers commit on something, and then it's much more likely that it comes, then you don't have to work that hard on your closing techniques. Totally so. agree with you. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you should get commitment from the, from the first meeting on. I mean, yeah. you yeah. should get commitment with every touch point with your prospect and not, not just in yeah. the end, right?
Yeah, right. So, and, and yeah. what you said, I think it's really interesting. You cannot, if you give a discount, for example, when you say, okay, if, if you commit for a one, two, three year contract until end of June, you'll get this discount. Whenever you speak that discount, it's forever. It's forever and it's ever. Forever. <laughs> yeah, because, because it's not 1980 anymore, right? Where you can say, like, exactly. oh, the sale is just on today. Like, uh, come on, guys. Like, we, it's 2020 now. Like, yeah. um, what, what I find interesting with, with this is uh, do you guys know the mutual closing map? Uh, HubSpot, I think, introduced it. They literally have like one PowerPoint slide where so like, these are the five steps and this is what everybody commits and this is the timeline. And both people pretty much put like a signature on that mutual closing map slide. Yeah, I, I don't know the map. I don't know the what like the exact thing you're talking about, but that sounds very much like the, the yeah. engagement plan we've got. I yeah. don't know from several other, several like a lot of companies use something something similar. I guess especially big sales. I mean, I see with as I said with smart sales, it's not really necessary, and you get you 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 make too much out of you know something that you can close after two meetings basically, and you don't yeah. have to do it. So Lars, when you say like you really instilled this this hunger into into salespeople, also young salespeople joining the team, how do you incentivize them on bookings versus profitability versus customer success? Because it's uh, it's a delicate balance, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So uh, right now, um, to keep it simple, so you know, I I totally get this point uh, where you want to break down all the things. And to make sure you know that that everything with uh, across all the departments is aligned, and that's super super hard actually. Uh, also, big companies are struggling with that. So what we decided yeah. to do is now in our first year, um, we have an AOR target, and uh, my sales guys they are all um, they will all get uh, they will all get commissioned by the AOR achievement. Yeah, and of course, so so we. And, and that's what I said in the beginning, right? You, you break down your targets. The company target is X, and then you break it down by your reps, by the territories you have. And that's that's how you how you make it happen, right? Are how there, do you tackle that, that sales and marketing constant fight that basically marketing is always top of the funnel, right? And then yes. what happens typically, say marketing basically says like, hey, we bring so many leads, you, you guys are just really bad at closing. And you close the wrong guys just because Lars told you we need to get your money in. And then the closer says, like, we don't get enough qualified leads. How do you incentivize people who are not these accounts executive profile actually closing deals and getting signatures? Yeah. So um, I have a new hire, actually, a uh, great guy. So my, my BDR or SCR, someone call some people call it SCR, sales development reps. I like to call them business development reps. Me too. So, um, <laughs> yeah. I, I love we're in Switzerland, nobody's selling, right? Exactly. I love BDRs with all my heart. Back at Beekeeper, I mean, mm -hmm. one of my closest friends, he's a BDR. And and you know why he, he's one of my closest friends? Because BDRs is, uh, is uh, sales guy's best friend. So uh, BDRs, <laughs> and, and, I think, and I think it makes sense to incentivize your BDRs by the amount of qualified meetings they set up and also by the um amount of deals that got closed where he contributed to the to the closing right so where he qualified uh the lead like yeah. how do you how do you um what's the agreement on the like you they booked the meeting um and that this is getting accepted as a qualified lead let's say how do you how do you work how do you measure that 
Yeah. So, um, I mean, if you're working with a CRM tool, doesn't matter if HubSpot or Salesforce, you have defined fields that someone needs to fill in to create a deal um, or an opportunity in Salesforce. So these fields have to have to be filled in. It's the whole qualification part. Like, for example, do they have a timeline? Uh, how's the decision process? Do they have budget? What's their current solution they have in place? And, um, you know, like, what are the biggest challenges they have? Um, oh, yeah, we... sophisticated. Um... Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's all, again, you're, you're breaking it down, right? So if you if you go to a meeting, you want to know as much as possible of, of that um, uh, uh, prospect. And I remember you actually, Patrick, where you, um, I think one time you made a LinkedIn post about, about qualification, right? So the bigger the deal, the, the more it, you should qualify it first, right? Before going to a meeting. And yeah. I mean, that's that's the first part you know, the first stone of building your relationship. I mean, the more questions you ask upfront before showing anything or or speak about pricing, I mean, Lord, you should never speak about pricing before you know something yeah, about, about your client, right? So what, what's um, for both of you actually, like where do you see the, this reason why we have this kind of fucked up sales culture in Switzerland where everybody wants to pitch 90% of the time and not mm -hmm. listen to anything and that people have this perception that sales is 90% talking. I know and why. Things I know why. I... It's just it's just the typical Ausendienstler people <laughs> have in their head. <laughs> <laughs> like back in the 80s, Manu. It's just yeah, not a switch. It's just, you know, people when they think about sales, they think about speaking and not about listening and asking questions. It's exactly. just always blah, blah, blah. Exactly. The thing yeah. about the, the car selling guy or the guy selling the Staubsuger and yeah, exactly. Uh, the door-to-door -door sales guy. Oh, I love, I, I love the the documentary movies about those guys. <laughs> I I was that guy yeah. eleven years. Oh yeah, ago for oh, two yeah. months in summer. We, we had so much oh, yeah, fun. You like, told me. and then then See? in week five, I think that this is why I asked the question about customer success as well because. At, after four weeks, it's kind of this amazing learning journey where you pitch probably 200 times a day, like you eight hours on a street outside. And it's very weird, like every Monday and becomes more natural. And you get this feeling where you sort of figure out like, okay, you can get like three hundred to 400 bucks within like a three minute conversation from a lot of people. It's like, I think my, my bookings, as you would say, like in sales language, probably doubled compared to week three, but churn rate also like tripled. Yeah. Is, is this balanced scorecard basically on like, okay, you can optimize for one thing, but the other will suffer. And maybe let me that tell that joke again, just for the audience as well. Like Larsa, I told that joke to you recently with a sales guy and an engineer going to the forest to go hunting and suddenly the sales guy is gone. And then he comes back and there's, there's a huge Kodiak bear running behind him. And he says to the engineer like, hey, take care of this beauty, I'll take another one. And you said instantly like, Oh, I'm I'm the guy with the Kodiak. Well, what's what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, in the <laughs> in the end, in the end, uh, I mean, you want you want to win new new clients, right? I mean, of course, we we had this moment actually at Expansibot, and and it's like that moment you want to achieve where customer success tells you to not close any more deals in this month or the next month. <laughs> so, I mean, 
And that's why I, I love, and, and that's actually, that's also a tip I can give for end of quarter sales. I mean, just because they sign in June doesn't mean that they have to start on 1st of July. I mean, they yeah, can yeah. start 1st of December and it's actually yeah. better for you. You know, you can plan your resources. You know, this big client yeah. is coming. We have to implement uh, an ERP system we have never implemented before. I mean, it makes things much easier. But still, I would, every, every day, I would get another Kodiak beer. I, I would do it. Even if we are, if we don't have any resources, well, but I, you said the Kodiak bear to come to the tent only in like three to six months when you build that huge gun. Yeah. So, so you, you need to basically you need to attract the Kodiak bear, but tell the Kodiak bear like stay in the forest until Christmas, yeah. please. Well, I mean, <laughs> you you have yeah. to tell the Kodiak bear to sign now and wait for three months until we start. I mean, you know, most of the times it's so much work. I mean. You know, with big Kodiak beers, we're talking now about big deals. You know, they usually don't sign and, and start immediately. Usually they also need to, you know, put together the project team, you know, also allocate their resources. So, you know, most of it, I mean, it's, I mean, we had like two or three cases where, I mean, one one is actually a very, very well-known um, company in Zurich. So they were like, hey, we, we want to start yesterday. <laughs> so, I mean, but I mean, if you're the guy telling them that, okay, we will have you live in six weeks or in eight weeks and you can deliver it, fine. And I, and, and you know, I'm 100% sure that there are always ways to achieve that. If you have a motivated team, they're gonna achieve that. It's possible, it's all possible. You know, it's all about setting expectations and then deliver it. Yeah, and this is, I think, so much, so much about mindset, right? And that's that's why, why we both basically Patrick is developing like this really deep like sales love towards you. Like same for me regarding the attitude, right? You're not this guy that people feel like, oh, he needs to have a master degree and like a PhD in sales and like ten years experience and needs to be fifty years old, right? Uh, and you basically just told me in our first meeting at the time lounge, like some moms was like, yeah, I was always selling. Like I was basically 16 and then went for a car vow and that basically was always selling my life. Yeah. That's what I love. And this is the pure blood, as you could say so. But that's, a good, that's a good one. Like what, what do you think is the most, like I agree. And I agree that a degree is absolutely not necessary in sales for like a university or, or anything anything like this um uh, not necessary what do you think is the key number or the number one attitude or number one skill that can make you successful uh, in sales yeah i think it's it's all about the the attitude like you said i mean all about how how i mean i can speak to someone about 90 seconds or maybe four or five minutes and you feel is this person a salesperson or not even if they have never sold anything in their life you just feel are they passionate about something i love in actually in interviews so passion, I, yeah. I, I i love to ask the the uh, the candidates if they can tell me about something they're passionate about and then you see in their eyes you see how they speak about it and if they can if they can give this this feeling to you, like, you know, this, if, if they can show you their passion. And I think that's, that's an attitude. You I like need, it, yeah. Yeah. You yeah. need to have in sales, actually. It's, because it's all about. It transfer, right? Yeah. People absolutely. are motivated by the product. And it's like, it's really old book from Zig Ziglar, like who invented this TV ads. It's now like nerve wracking for everybody, but there's a great sales guy in like, I think 1960s, 70s. And he's like, 
going to his friend and he asked him like, hey, we're like, I'm not selling any cooking ware. Like, why is that? And he went to his home for dinner and there was not a single piece of the cooking ware, they said. And it's like, why didn't why don't you have it? It's like, yeah, it's too expensive. It's like, hey mate, like you're selling this stuff and you don't use it because it's too expensive. Yeah, but I don't tell people. Yeah, but people feel it if you're cooking with this stuff, okay? So buy the damn thing. Oh, yeah, but I'm I don't have the money, like I don't sell anything, so I don't get the money, right? So and he, at one point he just bought it and his his bookings like doubled basically within a quarter. That is why actually I'm a little bit jealous, to be honest, um, with people who can sell a software to salespeople. Two reasons. I mean, <laughs> the reason you can use it yourself and it's going to make you so like, uh, you, you will love it, you know, to sell something that, that you can use daily, basically. And the second reason is look at LinkedIn. Like if you use LinkedIn as a tool, you know, to, to grow your network. So you basically give up out tips sales tips or sales uh, you know your ideas and your ex you share your experience and you can not only share them with people that you can actually hire because at some point you need new salespeople, so you grow your network with, with people that you you could hire but also you you grow your network with people who can actually use your software so the best thing that can happen yeah. using linkedin is you sell a software that that is a sales oh, yeah. tool i, I and and you know what? I think there is no nothing which is more honest than selling to salespeople <laughs> because they know they know everything about it. Yeah, and, and, there, were, and there was just like an ex CEO of like a large Swiss company. Like he was ex CEO and now founded his own startup. And he wrote me back like, "Hey, congratulations to the sale." I was like, "Well, I just sold it to you, right?" Like he's, he basically signed the DocuSign offer and then the next line of text was congratulations to the sale like typically it's not that easy to get boss by me so respect yeah, I like that and it's like it gives you also if you're selling to your sales people or if you're selling sales basically it gives you also this freedom to be more blunt with stuff right yeah yeah, yeah. but so Manu from what you said it's basically you know you use what you have and you become also like you become passionate about what you can sell by using it, especially the, the example you mentioned was from a guy who doesn't use what he sells, which is kind of weird, weird if you can't use it, I, I, I wouldn't recommend not to use it. So that's basically what you were saying or, or is there, or am I wrong here? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if you, if you sell something that you don't use yourself, I think it becomes this really weird game where you're just trying to, well, basically play Jordan Belfort, Wolf of Wall Street style, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. And I, I shared the notes with you, right? So there's 70 pages of cold call scripts and stuff, and it works transactionally, but it's not going to make you happy, I think, as a in high-integrity salesperson. Yeah, I agree with that. So I'd, I'd probably add, or something that I discovered in my career is the, like the attitude learning towards learning, to learn new stuff. I feel like very good salespeople are usually, oh, you yeah. know, they into books, they they listen to podcasts, they talk to people. I mean, talking to people is one of the un most underestimated uh, way to learn new things. If you don't do the whole talking yourself, but that's that's what you should have learned with <laughs> sales anyway to ask questions and not do all the talking, right? So, so I felt like the, the learning part is is uh, is very important. Like this drive, this drive, or also passion to learn new things is, is really important I'd say. absolutely absolutely totally agree with you i find the aspect of like having talking to people an interesting one because also with that image of 
great salespeople comes is kind of extrovert, good-looking, kind of aggressive in a positive sense, like brash. Like, what's your take on the power of introverts in sales? And I have one specific example in mind, which I'm glad to share. You have a specific example or you don't, or you? Yeah, I do, for example, like you, you guys know Christoph Birkholz of Impact Hub, Kickstart Accelerator and so on? No. no. So he, he, he co-founded Impact Hub Zurich and uh, Kickstart Accelerator and uh, a few other things like Yoba Investing, I think, uh, Punter, which is now, I understand, like two digit amount of people. And he's this very calm, relaxed guy who's like, I mean, he's obviously on stage sometimes for a Kickstart Accelerator kickoff or so, but He's not there to be loud, right? It's just like, thanks so much, all guys, for being here. Like, it's all for the cause. Like, thanks so much. And I hand it over. And he's closing, like, probably five, six figures. These, like, a lot with corporate partnerships, like yeah. Micro, like Coop and so on. Yeah. What, what's your take on, like, do you need to be loud and extroverted to be successful in sales? Or, like, what are the takes? So I'm, I got my opinion here for a little bit, like when you look at numbers from the book to sell is human. Um, I'm not sure about the offer though right now, but he is Daniel Pink, Daniel Pink. He is uh, making, like he has numbers on what is like from a point of success, he gives numbers, one is introverted, five is very extroverted and he puts success on um on the other on the other line so what he found is is like something three three something is the most successful um sales people the, the, the least successful i guess are the most extroverted and the second least were the, the most in like to not to be on the extremes of the scale wasn't very like those people were less successful on average than the people in the middle so i i'd probably agree with this um, I, I've, I guess myself, I was very introverted when I started, I, or, or I felt like I'm not the guy who constantly, um, you know, is, is doing all the talking. Obviously, as we, we, we talked before, listening is much more important than talking in sales in general. But I think when I look at Lars, for instance, I see that especially probably one thing that makes him very successful is, you know, he gets into these uncomfortable situations or, 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 or does something like, Hey, I really want to work with you. What do we have to do to work with you? That's not something everybody feels good or feels like yeah. it's feel uncomfortable to do. So you have yeah. to to go. Yeah. Into so you know what I think? What I think the question introvert versus extrovert is it's also interesting when you break down the whole sales process. In which areas you know mm -hmm. where does it make sense to be introvert or extrovert? So every company I've worked with, I lost to take someone from the tech team to my meetings and most of the time there of course and uh, not everyone is an introvert of the tech team but you know most of the time tech people are introvert people they're yeah. they not extroverts yeah uh, i know some extrovert tech people <laughs> crazy people funny people <laughs> but most of them are introverts and you need to tell me more about how it went with Ivan Patrick. <laughs> yeah, Ivan. Ivan is actually one of I had him in, 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 in my mind as well. Oh yeah, <laughs> so I, know, I know. I know some crazy. I know some crazy people, uh, tech people that are that are super extrovert. But sometimes when you're more an extrovert person and you have an introvert tech um, tech team member uh, in your meeting, um, sometimes you know magic happens when they are you know the calm. You know the the fields in the Brandung, how we say in in German, and they can you know just just with with their technical know how, 
they can they can you know um they can make so much of a difference you know when, when they speak about how they will integrate something how the product works how um how how they know about the system like like the the system architecture of your client that's so you know that's so powerful you don't need to, have, to yeah. be expert there and but, but also when it, they speak less right so when they speak yeah. people actually listen and they you know they deliver value always they do you know because they are speaking about the, the tech specs mm. so but i think when it's about you know closing a deal you know then it's you need you need to have the you know the the you need to be a bit extrovert you know to 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 ask for for taking the action and i think um I, i've listened to a podcast of Stelly um at the at this weekend actually and he said there are three you know um three type of people in in every startup so you have the the designers that design products that design things you have the hackers that can hack you know they know everything about tech and you have the hustlers you know the go-getters the you know fundraising and you know marketeers you know that that, that will uh, publish that will have everything published into the the best you know um uh, newspapers in switzerland and then you have of course the salespeople that go and and get the deals so and and i, I totally agree with him it's so absolutely true and you need to have all all three in in your startup i mean without yeah, that was an tech people you you, you you won't sell anything because you know yeah. you need them yeah yeah and there was an interesting comment from Steli, like where guys not knowing, like Steli FD, founder of Close. Like I think he founded Close.com now, bought the domain for a six-digit amount, uh, a CRM like seven years ago. And like he did, that was actually like the trigger, I think, for us to inspire this this podcast, right? He did four, one and a half thousand podcast episodes, or, or more, more than four hundred for sure, podcast episodes on uh, startup chat, just general startup chat, and he's a great sales guy. Oh as yeah. Well. He love he loves doing follow-ups. <laughs> <laughs> but but you yeah, know but he delivers value when he follows up and, and that's what, what, what people love, right? Absolutely. And it's just like how you CRM drives you sales attitude to a certain extent. I mean the CRM is called close.com, right? So yeah. largely close being classical um hunter basically, what, what triggered you guys to not use close.com, for example? Well, I, I think it's more a bias of, of tools I've used before. So I'm a Salesforce kid and 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 HubSpot kid. So I I know the tools from from before. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah, why, why well, we went for them. I think the last thing you want to do when you you you, you come as the say first salesperson or second or third into a startup is um, learning yourself a new like CRM and get to know. You know, I I, I think. I, I would want very early on anyway, some somebody in operations who is, is really like responsible for the Salesforce environment, who makes sure that the processes we have are very efficiently built into the system, just that salespeople don't waste their time on this. So I, I'd agree. I'm also, I started with Salesforce seven, eight years ago, and I've, I, I just found it that I don't have to learn something new as well when I get into a startup where I have to learn like the product yeah. and stuff. So, I agree so with you. I mean, I mean, it's important to be to be open for new solutions. So I, yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, sales is anyway. A lot of things in sales are about to, you know, to see what works 
and then scale it. <laughs> yeah. And same yeah. is with the tools you're using. Once you have a tool that works, you, you know, just it's like it's like a, a, a machine. <laughs> don't touch it. Just you know. Let's really efficient. Don't touch it. Just, yeah. uh, just. How, then, how they say don't 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 touch a running system or something. Yeah, yeah, never break a running system. Like, yeah, that that's also like, and there was like uh, the chief sales officer of a very successful uh, German scale-up actually, and I was basically there to do the CRM elevation, and I I asked like the chief sales officer, what do you think? Like, and it was well, in my experience, like the the best the, the best CRM users are the worst salespeople. They just basically don't want to go out and talk to people and throw stuff at the end of the day. They just want to do all the data entry and polish it and shift the close day by five days and they don't sell. Oh, um, yeah. He's a very old school guy and just probably like, yeah, but can I not have my emails locked on the CRM because that's my privacy and I'm a libertarian. I was like, okay, mate, like just because you're closing deals at 3 a.m. in a strip club and don't want to have that recorded. I was like I'm not talking about that, but sales is all sales are not known to be the, the most tech tool driven, process driven, documentary driven people, right? Yeah, but I, I think I think the more data you have, the, the, the better you can close. I mean, the more you know about your your conversion rate, your your email opening rate, your booking rate and everything. I mean, that's you need you need to to get insights to those data. That's why you need to to have a CRM system and also to to keep it up to date. And and I got to be honest with you. I mean, I, myself, I'm also struggling with keeping my my CRM up to date because you're traveling all day and you know it's just yeah. you, you know you forget things. And that's why with a good C okay. So before we start speaking about the CRM system. I don't understand companies that don't use, you know, like Gmail or something at all. I mean, when you're still working with Outlook, you know, you're not a sales guy. You want to have your emails locked automatically into your CRM. I remember the times because I, I was working at a company. They they use Salesforce actually. It's a it's a big um, U.S. company, and that was back in 2014. They had um, Salesforce, and you still had to log all your emails manually to Salesforce. That's I mean, crazy. who does that? Who logs wow. an email manually? You don't do that. A lot of people. Yeah, I know. I was, I, was I, mean, I mean, I was kind of growing up at Tesla where this kind of stuff worked, right? And I could see, like, basically go down to the showroom and take this VIN, this vehicle identification number, put it in the system and know who it belongs to and who was only before, because that was an American process-driven vertically integrated company. That was back in 2012. But then joining Accenture, like during my during my whole three and a half years, they're leading project or co-leading them with client like up to like one, two million. I never got to see the damn CRM. That was always like, when will we start with like this big uh, SMI companies? Like, yeah, like they're telling like next quarters, like, yeah, sure. Like, but who are we talking to? Like people, it's like, cool. <laughs> That's that's funny. In in our case, I think in my past, oh. I was you. I never understood. Oh, sorry. Do we have a? Yeah, in, in my in my case, I was usually also the one using Salesforce or the CRM the heaviest because I realized I'm really bad at remembering things. Like, uh, and I didn't find a better tool than yeah. in the CRM. You know, open a task and put in on the task list. Have basically yeah. a task list. But what uh, today's sales engagement tools 
do automatically for you, give you the task that you have to do, and then the next and the next, and based on the sequence, yeah. you get the next one. I just do that it's still now, like manually. I put in so if I have to do Patrick, something, it's, it to it's not because it, it's not because you're bad at remembering. It's just because you speak to so many people. Every you, no yeah. no no person could remember it all. No one yeah. could ever. So I never believe when a salesperson tells me that they can remember everything. Yeah. I remember one guy. Actually, we have one guy at Beekeeper. His Salesforce quality was shit, like really shit. And he always told, you know where Salesforce is? It's here. It's in here. <laughs> but it's not true. It's not true. No, but it's, it's, I think it's also an attitude of an interview question I like to ask people. And we interviewed like 100 plus people who are basically my successor at the startup where basically was building up sales as the first business guy together with the CEO. And one question like, if tomorrow like a magic guy comes and says like, hey, tomorrow somebody else will do your job, are you happy or not? And I think in my opinion, like great hires, basically great people, they want somebody else to do their job so they can move on and do something better, do something new. Yeah. But in my experience, you have a lot of salespeople who basically say like, hey, this is my notebook here. It's all in here. It's all in my head because my network is basically my capital because I don't know shit about processes and outbound sales and basically closing techniques and empathy. Yeah. And they're not willing to share. Yeah. Fully agree. Fully agree. Attitude to look to at the big picture, you know, that you also care what happens afterwards and your stuff is there that somebody can, somebody afterwards can use it. So you yeah. might be able to test, you know, how that mm -hmm. person is in, in a team perspective or for, for the company, basically. Bigger picture. I like that. Yeah. How do you, Lars, you mentioned you, you just, you just like hired some new people. How do you balance that? Because you often have these sales maverick, very hungry guys that are constantly hustling and hunting Kodiak bears and versus this kind of team players, culturally nice, big yeah. coffee with everyone, people that care for the engineering as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, at the end, there's no, no person exists twice. So you will never have, you know, a team where, where everyone is the same. And I think I like, I like company values and, and I think it's super important, but it's also important to get people in there that think outside of the box. People that will tell you like, I would do things differently. People that have, you know, that can tell their boss like, hey, the thing you said during that interview, I think it's it's not good for our deal, right? You, you want those people. So um, uh, what I typically look for is, is more of, um, I mean, no matter how the personality of, 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 of the person is, I, I also, I, I like to look on, how street smart are they? I think street smartness is super, super, super important in sales. Yeah. Like, you know, finding ways. And also it's so, sometimes if, if a person seems, um, seems lazy to you, that can be an asset. It can be an asset because people- things in less time. Yes, absolutely. 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 And sometimes, I mean, just by, you know, I, I, I had to laugh because uh, Patrick, when you told me about your wardrobe, how much, how much clothes you have, it, it's just, you know, you're, you like to automate things. You like to put everything on autopilot. You can to really focus on, on, on the important things. That's something I really look up to because That's I, I spent, I spent a lot of, you know, time in the morning deciding what, what I want to wear. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, yeah yeah how uh, do you have do you have certain tests um in your hiring process that you 
you know, you get something out that you want, you can test on, obviously, yeah, like if you can test on coachability, for instance, I, I test on coachability by giving them some exercise they bring with um, in the first or in the second meeting even. And I deliberately say something not negative, but I criticize and I say, hey, uh, what, how do you think you could have done that better? And then, then tell them that they could have done better by doing this and this, and then see how they react, right? So yeah. certain people, and that's the way you could teach, you could maybe uh, test on coachability. Do you have um, other such? such yeah, um, just put your microphone on mute and see how they react. <laughs> <laughs> or just you know just do something crazy yeah, yeah sometimes you, you just need to do something crazy you know the the real hustlers the real go-getters are the ones that always find a solution no matter what happens i mean this morning i had a meeting nothing worked nothing worked no beamer you know you just put your laptop in the middle of the room no matter if there are 10 12 people and you say look nothing is working here's my laptop we all have to look at this small screen but I promise I, I I give you a great demo. And same is when you when you when you're feedback to Martula Blocher of like the like what do you do if the beam seven thinking steps. No seven thinking steps. Exactly. But but I mean, if you have an interview mm -hmm. and you just put your microphone on mute or you just tell you can't hear the person, just see how they react. They will find ways. They will call you on your mobile phone. They will, you know, they will suggest to use another tool or, you know. Or you, like you or you tell them about the problem you have. You tell them like, hey, I just had a call with this company. These are the people included. And I have I, I just, you know, I don't know what to do next. What what would you suggest? What what, what would you suggest me doing as a next step? And then listen what they say. Yeah, I think that's such a powerful way to instill this resourcefulness. And one guy once told them we had this to write this paper about how to basically save uh, water in toilets uh, because we like Swiss households spend like 150 liters of drinking water per on per day per household on toilets. And one thing he told us like think space. Like if you're in a spaceship, like there's no way like you can like, oh, it would be nice to save water, but there's just no more water. Like there's no fucking way you can bring in more water. So if you, if you tell people typically in Switzerland, like, yeah, but we don't have budget like this, like, oh, then I cannot do it. And um, have this first principle thing and just getting it done. And I know that from, from Elon Musk, basically, like, just basically an engineer is like, yeah, that costs 50,000 bucks to build. It's like, well, we don't have 50,000 bucks to build. We have 5K, figure it out. Mm -hmm. And putting hard limits to something like this. How, how, how hard are you consciously on your teams basically and say like hey you've got these limited resource figuring out just to make them better and figure out more effective ways to do things yeah mm. uh, i mean i think i think it's important to 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 involve them in you know especially when you have decisions like build something for this amount of money or you know find a new tool um anything um i think if you have good people in your team they will not spend just you know spend money i i mean i always have the attitude don't spend money if you if you can if you can avoid it i mean just don't do it and and i think it's the same with like expenses I mean, when I was a beekeeper, I was not the guy that expended every expense, every single lunch I had. And I think my people are doing the same. 
you're not just you know you're not just putting everything on your expenses and you know buy everything you need buy the luxury the luxury laptop stand you know my laptop stands here on a on a pillow you know so <laughs> i think it's always about you know finding ways and and and, and to not spend money and I, like I think also that is, is is culture in your company a lot because i know i know startups they spend a shitload of money on you know useless things yeah i think cult sales culture is like topic completely worth on its own like we're gonna do this like every monday 6 to 7 p.m for people to dial in as well right so yeah yes shall we basically call it a day to let lars hunt some kodiak so he's happy and <laughs> has some good things to report on like and lead by example also and keep that culture working i like that for sure <laughs> Lars, thanks so much for joining us, despite this very artificial quarter's end, which uh, works amazingly, as we understand. Patrick, also thanks for joining us as head of sales of Larry. And um, when we push this out, Lars, I'll put in a quote on LinkedIn. So like, hey, can you please come and below so Lars can give you a call and go hunting a bit so he can at least get in the lead. Right? <laughs> yes. close give, me, give me the leads. That's fine. <laughs> no, comment no, below no, no, I mean, honestly, uh, what you said, uh, what you said, I think it was you, Patrick or, or Manu, talking to people. And, and I generally, I, I love talking to people. Yeah. And I think yes. it's important in, in your whole life, not, not only in sales, but always talk to people, always learn new things. Um, I mean, even if, if that person is like a hairdresser or something, you know, you, you never you never yeah. know what you can get out out of a person. I mean, not yeah. only in your career, but also personally. So I think it's it's very one of the most uh, things that get me excited is when I when I meet new people and I can speak to them. It's so interesting what they can tell you and, and what they know. So, uh, yeah, I think that's uh, that's the thing I, I want to give with this episode is always just speak to people. And when you enter. When you enter a company building for your meeting, always speak with the lady or with the gentleman at the reception. Always speak to that person. Fully they agree. have a lot of influence, always. Fully agree. And they're super nice people. Fully yeah. agree, yeah. I like that. Especially in startups, you have to get the oh, yeah. you have. You know, you <laughs> learn about new use cases and whatever, but now we dig into, not, <laughs> dig into it again, but I, I like yeah. that. Talk to people as often as possible and uh, you will learn a lot. Cool. Thank so you, Manu. Have a fantastic evening. Thanks for taking out the time of the busy schedule and let's continue to that. The, the average podcast uh, dies after seven episodes, so let's make at least eight of this. <laughs> Perfect. Go. <Cool. I> mean, <laughs> Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Manu. Thank you, guys. Enjoy. Bye-bye. Thank <laughs> you.